This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, Justin. What's up, Andres? What, what would you say is the number one thing that we talk about here, like the most important strategy that, that any marketer could do? It's a great question. I guess if I had to narrow it down, it would it would probably be on that the whole concept of narrowing stuff down, getting down into those into those niches, right? Digging into the digging, digging into, into the niches, right? Focusing down on those niches, and uh, that's why I'm excited about our our next guest. You know why? Why? Because this guy literally wrote the book on the subject. He wrote the book on niching down. That's amazing, right? I can't wait then. Uh, then then you don't have to wait too much longer. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Andro Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, our first guest, well, our guest for this uh, episode is, uh, he wrote the book, Key Focus, Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. And he has uh, his own, he's, he's like a writer. He, uh, well, I mean, I, I look, I'm just going to bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Lockett. <laughs> I think you missed a few credentials there. Um, well, you know what? Let, <laughs> let's let Christopher talk about it. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, gentlemen. It is an honor to be here with you. I'm stoked. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we, we like to be different, too. So instead of introducing you with all your credentials, we wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, tell people how amazing you are. But my understanding, though, Christopher, is that you've had 30 years experience um, as a CMO for three major companies in Silicon Valley. You have your own hit podcast that's a number one on iTunes and Apple or Apple Podcasts now, I should say. And uh, on LinkedIn, you're a self-proclaimed stable genius, <laughs> which uh, you and one other person on the planet. So <laughs> I, the truth is, I think that's probably false uh, advertising. I think I'm an unstable genius and I'm not even sure about the <laughs> genius part, but I'm clear about the unstable part. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us, tell us uh, for, for our listeners who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about, give us your history here. How, how did you become you? Uh, so, uh, you know, as Justin said, I'm a former, a three-time public company CMO. My last company was called, uh, Mercury Interactive in Silicon Valley. And we sold that company in 2006 to Hewlett Packard for $5 billion. 
making HP my favorite company of all time. Uh, and then I did, uh, I did some like five billion with a B with a B. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's not only fuck you money. That's fuck you and your mother money. That's like, that's a, <laughs> wow. that is, that is a lot. Some serious internet money. A lot of, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, they didn't give me the whole 5 billion, but they, you know, I, I got, I got my, my little piece of it. And, um, and it was what, it was a hell of a ride. I'll tell you. And, um, I started my first company when I was 18 years old. I got thrown out of school for being stupid. I found out at 21 that I'm dyslexic. And so all of a sudden my education made sense to me. And I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, for some entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is a way up in the world. And if that's your motivation, you know, God bless you for sure. But for many of us entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is a way out. And for me, it was a way out, a way out of a life of struggle, a way out of a life of manual labor. You know, I grew up with a single mom and it was, uh, we had to scratch around to make shit work. Um, and I delivered newspapers and, you know, was entrepreneurial at a pretty young age. But like a lot of folks, you know, entrepreneurship is a way for us to bet on ourselves when literally nobody else will bet on you. And I grew up in Montreal, Canada, and I ended up um, uh, starting a company. That company failed, and I joined another startup and, you know, thrashed around for a while in the tech startup scene in Canada. And then I started a boutique uh, niche-down consulting company in Toronto and ultimately sold that company to a U.S.-based um, software company in 1996. And I've been living in uh, Northern California ever since. What, what part? Just curious. Uh now I, li I lived in Silicon Valley for a long time, and now I live close to Silicon Valley in beautiful Santa Cruz, California, right on the ocean. Oh, yeah. I, I grew up in Marin, so um, I, I'm around, from around there. Yeah, so you know. I lived in Berkeley for a while, but I, I love Santa Cruz. It's so great. Well, actually, people have called Santa Cruz Berkeley by the sea. Right, right. Banana slugs. Uh, Go I banana slugs. I hear there's vampires there, for those of you who... <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, geek movie reference. So, so, uh, okay. So let's, let's go back a little bit because, uh, I, I, I also have dyslexia and, uh, you know, it makes, it makes schooling a challenge. So what was, what, at what point did you realize that you weren't going to fit into this mold and you wanted to like bust out of, and do something different and you caught the entrepreneurial spirit? When, when did that happen? Uh, well, I never felt like I fit in. Um, and candidly, I still don't feel like I do. Um, so I feel yeah. like I was born on and live on the island of misfit toys. Uh, and, and the saving grace in that is I have found a tribe of people who are also on the island of misfit toys. So I, I'm not alone anymore. But <laughs> those of us who have felt different, those of us with learning differences, uh, or for whatever reason, didn't feel like we fit in, um, you know, I think there's two kinds of people. There's people who find their place in the world. And if, if that's, you know, that God, God bless you, if that's you. And there's people who can't find a place because there isn't one. We don't fit. And therefore we have to make our place in the world. Yeah. And so I kind of always felt that way, Andros. Now, do you see yourself as a, as like an introvert too, or are you uh, more extroverted? I'm just kind of curious on that regard, because you've recently kind of talked about how you, you you're getting into the realm of podcasting and writing heavily. And as an introvert myself, I find that those two mediums lend themselves really well to uh, introverted people. And I was just kind of curious if that's you or if that's just a coincidence. Yeah, it's interesting you ask because I'm what's called, what experts call, so this is what I've been told, what do I know? I am a, um, um, an introverted extrovert. So I like a lot of the extrovert stuff. 
and I behave, I think most people when they watch my behavior in the world would say, eh, that guy's probably an extrovert. Uh, but at the same time, I get to this place where it's like, I can't handle being around people anymore and I need to be on my own. Uh, I can't network with the shit. As a matter of fact, I think networking is, is stupid. You know, you get, get that email from somebody on LinkedIn who says, I mean, I'd like to <laughs> network with you. And like, I, I'm not just going to meet oh you for God. coffee. Well, or not whatever. with that tone. <laughs> <laughs> I have my inbox is full of those uh, LinkedIn messages every single day. It's like 20 a day. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, like, unless there's a purpose for us to talk, uh, I hate to be antisocial, but like, and they're like, oh, well, I'll come to Santa Cruz and take you out to dinner. And it's like, uh, I can buy myself <laughs> dinner and my wife's a great cook. And, you know, like, unless there's a reason for us to talk. And like at a conference or whatever, I'm sure this happens to you guys, you get invited to these events and stuff. And unless there's a reason for me to be there, I'm speaking or meeting somebody or whatever. I, I Like I back in the old days, I used to go to TED while well, TED was sort of its orig- in its original form. Before TED was cool. Yeah, exactly. Before <laughs> anybody knew what, what the fuck TED was. And uh, I stopped going when they started to put all the videos online because I, I, I didn't like all the schmoozing and cruising and boozing. And yet I'm a supposed introvert. So I, I don't know. Yeah, do you, just a random question, but do you, do you go to Burning Man? No, I don't. I, I, none of that shit's for me. I, that, that sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. And I look, I respect oh, okay. it. And if you're into it, God bless you. I, I think it's totally cool, but it's not what I want to do. Andres is probably in like the top 10 burners of all time because he's been to like 20 of them. I've never been myself, yeah. but Andres has been like 20 times. <laughs> I, 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 I go almost uh, every year. So most of my friends um, are burners. It's just, yeah, I'm not, I was assuming that I'm not social like that. You know, yeah, it's not my thing. That's okay. I won't hold it against you. Yeah. I, I associate, I, and I, I associate with what you said there. And I think you may have even said it backwards. Cause uh, I think <laughs> you did say you're dyslexic, but I think it. Uh, when I've been told is I, I'm kind of like an extroverted introvert. I think you said introverted extrovert. I, I don't know what, what, one of the tomato tomato, um, but it's same kind of thing. I can like turn on the extroverted personality if I if I want to to a certain extent. Uh, but I, by far, I am an introverted person. I recharge by being by myself at home, um, and that's that's kind of my natural state. So it, it's uh, it's it's been it's been interesting. Now, one of the things that you've uh, I, I was listening to an interview of yours on on YouTube, and you talked about how after thirty years in in the business, like you're now you're grateful for the opportunity to find podcasting and blogging because it gives you a chance to kind of have like a, a second act. It's given you an opportunity to continue where in the past people that, you know, retired as, uh, after CMO jobs were, that was it. They retired. Maybe they joined uh, like a, Roy- a rotary club or something, but, <laughs> but that well, there wasn't, there wasn't like this opportunity there is now to actually build a personal brand and reach people so easily, like what the internet has kind of provided all of us. Uh, and then it also mentioned that you're you're into um, investing in startups too. Um, so I wanted to hear a little bit about your uh, both what it's been like starting the podcast for you after that after your corporate career, or even though these are all startups that you um, that you worked with, and and then also what it's like as I mean, are you are you full venture capital investor now, or what that looks like too? Yeah. So it, you know, the cool thing is, so I started writing. My first book came out a little over uh, three years ago. Uh, niche Downs, my second book, and um, I've been podcasting for about two and a half years or so. And and so the the sort of interesting thing about it, there's been, it's been a fun social experiment for me in, in that, you know, I, I got to a place in Silicon Valley, in the tech startup world, in the marketing world, where I had achieved more than I ever thought I would. You know, the question for me early in my life was, you know, is Christopher going to make it? Can he can he find a job that will pay the 300 bucks a month rent in some dumpy apartment? You know, <laughs> boy, I get that. Uh, and so 
that was the question early in my life. And, you know, listen, by the time I was 27 or 28 years old, I was the head of marketing for a publicly traded tech company in Silicon Valley. And so, you know, I had a hell of a run. And, and the whole time I was doing it, I thought, well, this is what I was doing, you know, that this was my career. And I, I never thought that there would be some other life. And what I realize now, Justin, is what I'm doing now is the reward that I get for having done 25 years, yeah. you know, in the trenches, building categories, companies, brands, technologies, and so forth. Um, and so when I started in writing and podcasting, the interesting thing is, you know, if you've ever sort of climbed some mountain and you get to the top of that mountain um, and then you decide, well, what do you do after you climb a mountain? You pick a new mountain. And so um, I, I have had this second career and you start at the bottom and you go, you literally go from being a somebody to a absolute nobody. And it's been fascinating to see how the world treats you. Uh, and it's also been fascinating to sort of climb into this new world and, and learn a lot about it. But the thing that's been the greatest is, um, you know, you hear this expression all the time and some people say it to me and I know they mean it as a compliment. It's like, oh, you, you know, it must feel great to be a self-made man. And I understand what they mean when they say that but I am not a self-made man. Uh, a lot of people bet on me when there was no reason to whatsoever, when there was zero evidence that it was worth anybody's time. And I am forever grateful. And I'm, I'm grateful to the people who I did that with, with personal relationships. And I'm grateful to my heroes that I never got to meet that David Ogilvie's and, 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 and many others who put pen to paper and made a contribution. And so I'm at that place now where I, I just, and this may sound corny to some, but it's just how I feel. I feel a real responsibility to try to give it all away and to give it back. Hmm. Um, and, and the beauty of writing and podcasting is it allows you to do that and it allows you to make a difference at scale. And the scale of the books and the podcast have absolutely knocked me over. But, but the place I'm at now is essentially one of immense gratitude and joy around um, you know, I get to talk to legendary people every week on my podcast. I've read more books in the last couple of years because when we have authors on, I read the books. Uh, you know, uh, we just dropped an episode uh, recently with, with Scott Cooper, who's the managing partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley who'd pay 20 grand to have lunch with that guy. Right? Yeah. We just dropped an episode with Heidi Roizen, who's like one of the OGs in Silicon Valley venture capital, right? Um, and you know, uh, I mean, Bill Walton's been on my podcast twice, right? So it's just this incredible. I met him actually. Isn't he great? When did you meet him? He's amazing. Yeah. I met him at a charity event and he was incredible. Very, very humble, very nice, very cool guy. Yeah. I, I, I love him. I've gotten to know him reasonably well and I, I adore the guy. Now, Chris, I, I'd like to, I, I want to go back a little bit to, when you were this in-between spot where you went from like trying to figure it out to being a CMO of a huge company, uh, what was that journey like for you? Like, how did you do that? Cause you said people gave you an opportunity, but can you get a little more into the details of like how that happened for you? It was this like a startup or was this like, did they bring you on as CMO? Like what? Yeah. Fill, fill in the gaps there. So yeah, my first CMO gig, the company um, was called Vantive and it was in the early days of the CRM wars in Silicon Valley. Salesforce wins. <laughs> well, actually this was pre-Salesforce. This was, well, yeah, I, Vantive I, I, was yeah. competing with the company that won round one, which was Siebel Systems, right? And then Salesforce took out 
uh, Siebel, of course. Um, uh, but anyway, the, the, the CEO of Bantiv um, took a shine to me at a young age, and he acquired my boutique uh, niche down consulting company. And, um, and he took a chance on me. And he moved me to Tor- from Toronto to Silicon Valley and, and said, hey, why don't you take over marketing? You seem like a smart young kid. L- let's go. And, uh, and so there was certainly a lot of fake it till you make it. But I think when people talk about fake it till they make it, I think some people don't tell the truth. I think people who are successful doing fake it till you make it, um, to be successful at that, you got to work. Yeah. And I worked my freaking hoo-hoo off. I mean, I, I read like crazy, which, you know, as a dyslexic, you know, is, is challenging. I sought out yeah. mentors. I put myself in super challenging situations. Um, and and I, I pushed myself. I pushed myself to become uh, as great as an executive and an entrepreneur and a marketer as I could. And I did my fucking homework. You know, I read like crazy. I studied like crazy. I, I did go to all those conferences. You know, I did all those things. I hung around with legendarily smart people, whether they were software entrepreneurs or marketers or investment bankers or venture capitalists or, you know, hanging out at Stanford or whatever it was. Like I, I went to town to train myself to become the best entrepreneur, the best marketer, the best executive I could. And so, yes, I was faking it till I made it, but I was working real hard to be the man that I wanted to be. Well, I like that you yeah. said that though, because to me, there's a distinction though, because like you, like you mentioned, you didn't necessarily lie when you're faking it to make it. And I, I've done this in my career where I, I might've said, you know, if I know I can figure something out, I'll figure it out. And I'll, if somebody asks me if I can do something, I'll say I can do it, but that means that I'm going to go figure it out. I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a, that's a lie. Cause they asked if I could do it and yes, I can, and I can figure it out and I'll make myself be able to do it. And I'll put in the time, I'll put in the research, I'll make, I'll, I'll acquire the skills um, versus somebody that's just lying on their resume, lying on, uh, you know, lying on a pitch right. and saying, you know, they have like an audience they don't have saying they have, um, things they don't have. So there's, there's a distinction there. So I think there's a way of doing it honorably and dishonorably. And, um, I'm sure it's a gray area, but it, I like that you brought that up. Well, it's the difference between saying you can do something and you're an expert at something. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Justin and I went in, we, we once, we, we uh, pitched a huge uh, a computer hardware company to become their Amazon uh, sales uh, uh, marketing team. And he and I, we had no idea cool. about any of that, but, <laughs> but we, we pitched them and it was one of those things. We didn't get the job because we didn't, we weren't like super savvy on it. We were honest about that. Like we've done this, we know about it, but you know, this will, you'll be our, our biggest client. Uh, but the fact that we were able to pitch at that level is like, once you pitch at that level, even if you don't get the job, it's like, great. Now I'm pitching here. Right. And it's not that we didn't know anything because we're pretty savvy digital marketing guys. And, uh, and we know a fair amount about Amazon, but there's, that's a whole nother ecosystem that we weren't like that in depth on. Yeah. So, and, and this is just something to keep in mind. If you're starting out, if you're running your own marketing or consulting firm, is, is, you know, you, you take the jobs that are going to stretch you and, and continuously uh, learn. So uh, moving forward now to our current day and age, right? Uh, what, uh, what do you think is the most important things that, that marketers need to know? Like, what do you see the trends as far as uh, marketing in, in, in the world today? So I think now's the greatest time in history to be a marketer. I don't think there's any even debate about that. And I think the reason for that is uh, primarily technology, 
that we have the ability to precision target people. Uh, there's a niche NATO going on. There's a tremendous amount of new categories and new brands being created in new niches that are highly technology enabled. I think the, um, the fact that um, in many companies today, the CMO has a bigger tech budget than the CIO is a, is a real indicator of what's going on here. Um, and so I, I, at a high level, I think big data is an incredible thing. And the different channels we have, this omni-channel world that we live in, I think all that is super exciting. And the, the, the if for lack of a better term, the digital savvy uh, that, that is required to be a CMO I find very exciting and I find trying to keep up with all that stuff. And I, I, I love it. And um, I also think some marketers over focus on the analytical and the spreadsheet and the, and, and, and the database. And I think we're also at a time that allows for a massive amount of creativity. Yeah. And I think that's very exciting. And so what I love is we as marketers get to play at the intersection of analytics and data and uh, creativity, strategy, and innovation. And I love playing at that intersection. Oh yeah, me too. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, so um, we had a guest on uh, uh, Philip Stutz the other night and he was saying he, he's actually a political marketer. Um, and he was talking about how the game is completely changing with uh, target marketing. And he was talking about something called geofencing where you can target like uh, IP, addresses. Uh, if, IP addresses, but even if there's an event that's happening at a convention center, you could go back two years ago to that event and target the people who went to that event uh, with geolocation, which is uh, exciting as a marketer, uh, completely <laughs> and terrifying as, as a, a person. <laughs> a, yeah, as a person. But uh, uh, he he predicted that 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 there will be a social media crash that that targeting people through social media is going to be like it's it's not going to be as easy in the next couple of years what what do you think about that where do you see kind of all of this going and mixing in the trends just to add to that real quick to what, what he was talking about the geofencing a lot of that was coming from like hulu and um like television based apps like roku hulu some of those apps he was talking about where he said that data was much more robust at this point, and that, that's why he sees also the social media crash coming. But yeah, what, what would your, do you see that, or what's your take on that? So I don't know whether I agree with him or disagree with him. You'll tell me, but um, here's what I do know. Uh, there are new digital channels that emerge all the time. Uh, there are new platforms that emerge all the time. Uh, who, who would have ever thought that, uh, you know, gaming and esports and esports athletes would be what they are. Billion dollar uh, industry now. <laughs> multi-billion. Multi it's going to be bigger than the NBA very soon, right? Yeah, I heard I heard it's going to outgrow the NFL even. Yeah. That's, That's crazy. Right. And so they're all they're all these new platforms, they're all these new channels. Um and so with social specifically, look, is the ROI on Facebook marketing today what it was 5, 8, 10 years ago? N no. And I think in a lot of ways, what Facebook has done to marketers is pretty shitty. We can talk about that if you care. So are there some social channels that people might move away from and, and look for other uh, more greenfield opportunities? A absolutely. That said, the digitization of marketing is, you know, it might be in the third inning, guys. Like, we're just getting started. And so digital ways to reach people, to target people, 
um, ways for you and I as consumers and customers to raise our, you know, one man's junk email is another man's prize, right? Um, (laughs) You know, if Ford emails me about the new Mustang, I'm stoked. That's candy in my inbox, right? Um, And so uh, we have a, you know, and my my buddy, uh, Joe Pine, who's the legend, uh, one of the biggest thinkers in business, he wrote The Experience Economy, which just came out with a new edition. I highly recommend checking out. He says, if it can be digitized, it can be customized and personalized, right? And so I think that's exciting. I think it's exciting for marketers, and I think it's exciting for us as human beings. Um, and so I think it just behooves us as marketers to be testing these new channels and, and going where we think, um, you know, the old Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, skating to where the puck might be. So what are the new platforms? What are the new technologies that our prospects and customers might be using? And what are the most cost-effective and innovative ways to reach them? I, I think that's always an exciting conversation. And do I think platforms like Facebook are, are, are less valuable than they once were? Absolutely. And part of that gets into like this whole idea of like blue ocean, red ocean, where if you're if you're just now getting into Facebook advertising, you're kind of like way into the red ocean because now the competition is, you know, 10x, 100x from what it was back in 2013, 14, you know, even five, six years ago, those those years. So um, I, I do think that it's important to be looking at the new channels of advertising because that's usually where the best return on your money is. If you get if you got into Facebook early, you were getting much better results. If you get in now, if you're if you're testing on different platforms, like um, we haven't done a ton of testing on LinkedIn, but I'm seeing like LinkedIn as far as organic social goes. I mean, that's there's an opportunity there right now. Um, TikTok potentially, which is another one that I know Andres has played in a little bit. I've played very loosely in. Um, but that's another one that like there's there's opportunities there because it's it's still in the infancy. It hasn't quite matured yet. And uh, I think most people are, are come they come so late to the party that it's uh, it's too late for them. So, you know, some people they're getting on Facebook for the first time this year or last year or the year before. And they think that they're doing the right thing. But it's like, you know what? Facebook was five years ago <laughs> as far well, as marketers Facebook, go. <laughs> yeah. But Facebook is, you know, as I've talked about here is has it's been weaponized and at this point it's i think mark zuckerberg is an evil alien from outer space <laughs> and and since you're it, generally in that location do me a favor if you ever see the guy like just walking around like like roboting down the street just kick him in the nuts it's so hard that both his feet are like two inches off the ground for me and just say that's for andros just do that please and if you don't know who he is go listen to marketing geeks <laughs> yeah so uh, <laughs> so it is uh, a giant bummer what's happened what Facebook has become it's a, it is a giant bummer. So so what do you um, think I, that, I think, that go ahead. like Peter Tethel and uh Tethel Tethel and uh Mark Zuckerberg Teal. talked about <laughs> Teal. Thank you. When they went to go uh have dinner with Donald Trump uh the other night. What do you what do you think they talked about? Oh fuck, I don't know. <laughs> who's going to win like, the NBA championships this year? I don't know. Who's who's going to win the next UFC fight? I have no idea what they are. So you, you were, you were going to say something about Facebook. Okay? Please finish your thought. I just think it's a, it's a giant bummer to me what's happened with Facebook because I think there was a point in time where um, Facebook was, was doing a lot of cool and good things. Um, and not that it doesn't do some cool and good things because otherwise we wouldn't still be on it. But if you think about five or six years ago, maybe eight years ago, Facebook as a user was fun and as a marketer made sense. Um, Facebook as a user today is is not that much fun. I can't figure out what the fuck's in my feed and why it's there, right? (laughs) And I don't think any of us can. It's like the same six people now for me. So it's like every time. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay. And and I think the real um, giant bummer 
Uh, and it really is an F you to companies and brands and marketers. You know, Facebook went out and said, hey, you don't even need, if you're, so they sort of insinuated this to small business. You don't even need a website. Just build your Facebook page. And, and now, so let me understand this. We all went out, built Facebook pages and groups, got all these people in it. These are people who raise their hand and say, hey, man, I like the Ford Mustang. Send me shit about that. That's awesome, right? We raised our hand, said, hey, market your shit to us. We want to see it. And Facebook turns around and goes, oh, yeah, you want to market to these people who said that they wanted you to market to them? That's now going to cost you money, a lot of it. But we'll, we'll show it to 3% of those people for free, and, and then the 97% or more, will you'll have to pay every single penny to see any of them, for them to see any of your posts. <laughs> and look, I get they, they make money advertising. I'm not an idiot. It's just a bummer how they've gone about it. And, and the reality is when the customer is not the customer, it's, you're going to have a fucked up business. You and I are not the customer of Facebook. We're the product. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what, have you seen any platforms uh, that you're excited about that you think are going to be the next sort of thing? Like what, what, what is going around right now? Uh, the Valley that you are like, wow, that that's the thing that's going to take off. Well, it's interesting you asked about that. Um, yesterday, I had a conversation, a podcast conversation with David Sachs. And Sachs is uh, co-founder of PayPal, uh, co-founder and CEO of Yammer. Uh, and now he's the founder of a venture outfit called Craft Ventures. And um, one of the things he said they're looking at is uh, niche networks and marketplaces. And so uh, the comment that he made is he said, hey, look at LinkedIn and they're a broad general purpose network. Look into niches and look at how they're not serving a specific niche. That was the idea he presented to me hmm. as a way to start thinking about creating a new niche network and or marketplace. So an entire network around a specific industry or, or, or niche. Um, that's yeah. Look at something like Fiverr, yeah. right? If you want graphic design done, you can go to Fiverr and, 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 and you have all these resources, right? Um, so there's um, uh, my buddy, Kevin Maney, who co-authored um, Play Bigger with me. His book after Play Bigger is called Unscaled. And the sort of general thesis in that book is there's an atomization going on right now and that you can be nimble and you can outsource a tremendous amount and you can bring shit together. And how you do that is through niche networks and marketplaces. Uh, my friend Gina Bianchini, who's been on my podcast a num number of times, right? She's the founder of Mighty Networks. The whole premise of the business is that people are creating niche networks, you know? And so, for example, uh, we had Gretchen Rubin on my podcast. She's, you know, one of the giant self-help authors. And she's built a community on Mighty Networks for her fans. And so I think what's happened is you have these communities and these marketplaces that are focused on niches uh, around interests and topics or industries that are fairly specialized. And so I think that's a very exciting, uh, exciting uh, area to look at. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's interesting because uh, one of the ways I leverage LinkedIn is uh, uh, I will like I, I hijacked my uh, uh, the the person who's like the manager of the company. Uh, I hijacked her uh, LinkedIn profile and I just started connecting people with with the very specific uh, uh, titles for B2B. And then I'm starting to create content that's not like about the product, but more about the people 
that work at the company. So it becomes more of like, oh, look at the fun people that work there. I want to check that out. So you're getting the message out, uh, but you're also talking to a very specific group of people. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think that's that's absolutely the way to go. Um, so if you were to to be a CMO of a company or you you go in to pitch that as a job, what skill sets do you think someone needs in order to be very successful in this day and age? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is I think the number one mistake CMOs make and frankly CEOs make when searching for CMOs is the job spec sort of reads like Steve Jobs. It's yeah. like, look, so market, so you create something that people don't know they want instead of doing the data, looking at data like, like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so first of all, you're not going to get that. So I think you got to decide what you need. Um, ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz uh, talks about how um, from a CEO perspective, are you a peacetime CEO <laughs> or a wartime CEO? Yeah. I think that's valid at the CMO level too. I'm a wartime CMO. Uh, you don't want me around during peacetime because I'm going to, I'm going to start bombing shit, right? Um, so you want to so, disrupt constantly. Uh, I'm going to be bringing new shit to the table. I ain't going to be milking cows. That's not what I, that's not who I am. Uh, but by the way, there's a, a point in a company's life where that's exactly the wrong thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying one's better or more value. I'm not saying that at all. So I just think as a CMO, you got to understand like, who are you? What's your superpower? What type of CMO are you? I have a very simple superpower that's actually very narrow. And I think if you're smart as a C CMO or frankly, any executive, you got to understand what are the two to five things that you are absolutely fucking legendary at and do those things and then get a team around you that uh, mitigates your liabilities and multiplies your assets, right? And, and that's always what I tried to do as a CMO. It's what I try to do today as an author and a podcaster and as an advisor in some startups and other companies. And so, so I think you've got to get super, super clear about that. I think there's can be very analytical, data-driven, data science uh, type CMOs. I think there can be very product-oriented CMOs. And then I think they can be very strategic-oriented CMOs who are much more on the category and brand side. And look, I have all of those things in components for sure. Mm -hmm. But my superpower is, listen, there comes a point in every company's life where they enter a 24 to 36 months battle for who's going to design and dominate this category. I'm the guy that does that. So it would have been useful to have you over at Blockbuster Video as a wartime CMO when Netflix first uh, emerged instead of the guy that was coasting or whoever was running the company at that point. <laughs> well, you want to hear a funny story about that? Love to. Yeah. So we recently had Mark Randolph on my podcast and he's the, uh, the co-founder and original CEO of Netflix. Mm -hmm. And he's got this great book, which I highly recommend. Yeah. I just, I just got, it. I haven't read it yet, but that, that I just it's, got it. it's an absolute stunner. It's called uh, that won't work, or maybe this won't work. I think it's called that won't work. And one of the stories that he tells in the book, and he told the story when he came on my podcast is they got to a place, you know, first of all, they thrashed around for a long time trying to make it work. And it didn't, it was like two or three years where, you know, and one of the things I love about Mark is he doesn't tell you the bullshit story about, oh, yes, we <laughs> saw this thing from the beginning. It was up and to the right. It was champagne and roses and attractive people. And, you know, no, it, it wasn't that at all. They thrashed around a bunch uh, in the right direction. But anyway, they get to this place where they figured out the first sort of category around the DVDs and the mail and all that stuff. But in order to entice people to try the new category idea, the new the new paradigm, they're giving them, I forget what it was, two or three months free or whatever. And so the business starts to scale, 
but it's front end, front end loaded from a from a, an expense point of view, and it's crushing them. So they're succeeding, but they're dying. Yeah, they end up having a so cash flow issues, major cash flow issues, major because the expenses are front loaded and the revenues are back loaded, right? So they end up having this big meeting with Blockbuster, and they're about fifty million in the hole at this point, and so they essentially pitch selling Netflix to Blockbuster for fifty million. And as Mark tells the story, the CEO of Blockbuster at the time laughs at them. Yeah, I think I think Andres, I think you've actually shared something similar to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was actually uh, um, uh, working for Comcast, which is the best company in the entire world. Oh, by far. Uh, and <laughs> by the way, I think Comcast and United Airlines are in an ongoing battle to see who can be the shittiest customer-facing company. Oh, in America. I, 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 I can, from someone who worked at that company, I can tell you there is not one company in the world who has stifled innovation more than that company. Uh, but they, and by uh, the way, as a side note. They are living proof, as is United, that there are some companies that are run by missionaries that have a real true north that are trying to do something exponential and legendary in the world. And there are other countries, uh, companies that are run by assholes with spreadsheets. Oh, not only that, it's just it's just a, a bunch of yes men all the way from the from the lowest level, uh, you know, supervisor all the way up to the top. But uh, any good idea is crushed. Case in point. Uh, as soon as Netflix decided to go with the streaming service and, and, uh, you know, they were using our internet, uh, I sat down with the, uh, with the VP of the entire, uh, region. And I said, what are you guys doing about this Netflix, uh, streaming service? I mean, do we have anything, uh, to, to even compensate for that? And he looks at me and he goes, our competition is not Netflix. Our competition are the people who go to Blockbuster Video and are not watching cable on a Saturday night. And I, that's actually the moment I was like, I'm going to start my own company because these guys are <laughs> fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, uh, okay, so we, we've got to wrap up the show because uh, I know that, that we, have to, we have to abbreviate because you've got uh, a got plane a to catch. <laughs> got a flight. And I'm happy but, uh, to come back anytime you want me if you want oh, me oh, to. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I noticed uh, uh, for those of you who are not uh, watching the screen right now, uh, you're drinking out of Ramon's cup. So that's uh, pretty damn awesome. The greatest rock and roll band of all time. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, before before we wrap up, I do have to ask. I have to ask a question. I have to ask you a question about when you got into podcasting, you mentioned that you started from the very bottom. And like kind of nobody knew who you were because you're, you're a CMO, but that doesn't lend itself to public credibility necessarily. So one of the things I like to talk about is this whole concept of marketing for authority building and marketing for um, instant, you know, demonstrating credibility and authority as part of your marketing strategy. How, how did you go about demonstrating that authority as a, as a, at the bottom of being in the podcast world? Um, you know, for us, I think a lot of it has been celebrity attachment as we bring on people like, you know, Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and the guys that are well known in this community. Um, but what, what has it been for you? Like, how did you how did you go from, you know, the corporate, maybe not very well known corporate guy on the background to now the front the front face? And how did you establish that credibility and authority? So I, I, I love that you asked me this, Justin. I have a very different point of view on this. I think personal branding is bullshit. <laughs> okay. Um, I think all these self-promotional assholes on the internet are, are they're snake oil, you know, everybody's selling all this garbage. And, and here's the bottom line. 
I think we live at a time, Justin, where people are very confused. And what they're confused about is they think that success is attention. And listen, there's some evidence in some cases that are. If you have a really nice butt and you take 400 pictures of it a day and put it on Instagram, you can get 2 million followers. That didn't work for me, man. That did not work for me. (laughs) I wish. I wish I had that. And you can get people to pay you to market their butt cream because you have a nice butt. And so I get that there are these things called social media influencers. I'm very saddened by all of that because here's what I think people have gotten confused. There is a very big difference between contribution and attention and people are fighting for attention and they do asinine things. So what I have tried to do and look, I'm a marketer. I understand you got to try to rise above the noise. I I get all that stuff, but to be candid, I have a very hard time with all the self-promotional bullshit. Look at me, look at me, selfie, 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 walking around, talking to your phone. Ah, here I am, guys. <laughs> you wish you were me. Oh, now I'm going to stand in front of my fucking Lamborghini and you can see how hot, I, you know, these Ty Lopez. Oh, yeah. I know that guy. You know, all these Ty Lopez, <laughs> Gary V, all these buffoons, right? It's buffoonery. And so what I've tried to do is focus on what I think are the things that matter which is trying to make a contribution, trying to participate in a dialogue around things that matter and trying to have fun doing it. And so the people that I respect are the people who are stepping out in this new world. You know, for example, my buddy, Mike Maples Jr. from Floodgate Capital, I've been on him for years to start a podcast and he finally did it. It's called Starting Greatness. It just launched. And if you're an entrepreneur, I can promise you it'll be your new favorite podcast. Because Mike is doing it right. Mike is a super successful, super thoughtful entrepreneur turned venture capitalist trying to have substantive, meaningful conversations about what it's like to start companies. And he's got people like Andy Radcliffe on and Mark Andreessen on and like the list of people he's going to have on this thing is a stunner, right? That's a legendary podcast. Uh, my, My friends Paul Martino and Randy Comazar, two legendary entrepreneur venture capitalists, they... Uh, when Bill, after Bill Campbell died, they had put together when Bill was uh, towards the end of his life and Bill was, for, you know, if you don't know, he was called the coach. He's the greatest CEO coach in the history of Silicon Valley. He was, he was Steve Jobs's coach. He was the coach to the Google guys. Um, um, uh, Eric Schmidt wrote. Is he the, is he the book, the trillion dollar coach? Is that him? The, that, that, that's him. That's him. That's funny. And Eric um, Schmidt wrote. Okay. That's Bill Campbell. So Comazar and Martino. Uh, did all these recordings with Bill towards the end of his life. And they have put together a legendary podcast called No Bull about all the teachings of Bill. And they went out and they, they interviewed all kinds of leaders like Ben Horowitz and many others who, who were coached by Bill. Okay. That's a legendary podcast. And I could give you many others. And yeah. so all I've tried to do is try to engage in a dialogue around a set of topics, business, marketing, life, uh, personal development, um, whether it's talking to uh, Bill Walton about how he's created his life or, you know. He's had like 20 back surgeries. It was crazy how many back surgeries he's had. And he's still, you know, he's still running like marathons every he's day. Practically. Incredible. <laughs> he rides his bike a ton. I highly, highly, highly yeah, recommend right, his yeah. book, Back from the Dead. It's an all-time great. Um, anyway, I just, look, I feel very fortunate 
that um, trying to have a thoughtful conversation with interesting, fun, fascinating people, and in the area of marketing, trying to expose things that are that are not talked about, like category design, like uh, building a data flywheel, like a whole bunch of other things that are counterintuitive yeah. to a lot of people. I, I just, I'm trying to look. It may sound corny. I'm trying to make a difference, and I'm trying to have fun doing it, and I'm trying not to make an asshole out of myself walking around <laughs> with a selfie stick and saying, you know, well, buy my fucking bullshit uh, along the way. You know what I mean? I like uh, I like the concept though of leading with you know value based content. Not you're not hiding it behind yeah, a paywall. Authentic, being you're, authentic. You're leading you're leading with authentic content, and you're actually you're actually making a contribution. And that's that's something that we try to do here. And also, I'm I'm just a natural lifelong learner. So like this stuff, I don't even need to be paid to do this. I'm just here. I'm I, I learn from these interviews. I I love spending time with people that are, you know, smarter than me, more experienced than me and learning their, you know, getting their two cents and getting questions answered that that I have. And usually people benefit from listening to these conversations. So it's a, it's, it's been a a blast for me. You, you might want to check out this guy, uh, Mike Winnett. Have you, have you heard of him? He runs, is like the contrepreneur and his whole podcast is, is exposing the, um, the dark side of, of, uh, especially like in the seminar world, like marketing tactics, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. I, I found him to be kind of a fun, fun change of pace and he's different. So, well, we, we got to wrap it up, Chris, uh, please come back on the show. Uh, we would love Anytime, to have guys. you and spend yeah, more definitely. time, uh, before we go real quick, uh, what are you geeky about, man? Uh, it doesn't have to be marketing related, uh, with just whatever it is, movie, TV show book. What are you most geeky about right at this moment? Hobby. Uh, this is probably going to sound insane, but uh, I'm I'm geeky about chickens. Chickens. We had a guy say he was geeky geeky about beekeeping. So chickens is not not that insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so are you you raising them? You have them at your house. You get you like are you eating? The, are they getting the eggs and eating those every day? And I had I had some this morning. Okay. My mother in law uh, my mother in law has two chickens and she eats those chicken eggs like every nice. pretty much every day. And what I would tell you is. Chickens are every bit as smart, fun, funny, personality rich, and loving as a dog or a cat. They make extraordinary pets. I didn't want them in my life. My wife did. I thought they were stupid and shitty and whatever, and I absolutely adore them. And so I'm kind of a bit of a chicken nerd, and I I love learning about them. And (laughs) uh, I love the fact that they are the descendants of T-Rexes, so we call them dinos or dinosaurs. (laughs) And... um, I love hanging out with our girls. And can we, can we expect a podcast, Chris Lockhead, on chickens in the future? Absolutely. And if you want, when I come back, I'm happy to introduce <laughs> you to a couple of them. Uh, uh, one of them in particular is pretty pretty cuddly with me. Her name's Beatrice, and she'll sit here in my arm for an hour while we do a podcast. So if you like, I can introduce you nice. to Beatrice. <laughs> I'll, I'll have my cat. You have your chicken. And nice, we'll, we'll ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Christopher Lockhead, everybody. That was, that was an amazing interview. A little short because uh, he had to hop on a flight, but that was awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, cool guy. Cool guy. I, uh, I, I, I want to go uh, back to Cali and squeeze one of his chickens. You know, as of the time, of at, least, at least when we recorded this, we're, we're both in the, in the top 10 marketing podcasts on Apple Podcasts. What? Yeah. Are we really? Yeah. Again? Yeah, they're, they're ahead of, he's way ahead of us, but like, we're like seven. He's like, really? He's like one or two. That's crazy. <laughs> That's great. Like, how do we do that? Because I don't know. You know why? Because because we have my lovely wife, Iris, who helps us out producing this show. Ladies and gentlemen, my lovely wife, Iris. Iris, welcome. Hi. Hi, Justin. 
while you were talking to Christopher in the Netherlands, we were having Sinterklaas avonds tonight. So that's like the uh, before you had Sinterklaas, we brought you Sinterklaas, and now he's called Santa Claus. And we were wrapping up all kind of presents. So tomorrow night is Sinterklaas avonds in our house. Um, but looking at next week, uh, next recording, you are going to receive Nick Norris. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Justin. He's my, college, my college professor. Come on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's your college professor. And uh, it was uh, very difficult to find a date. But, yeah, thankfully, uh, he's coming up next week. He's owner uh, of ID Marketing and Design, a boutique agency that provides marketing services to small businesses, and he is um, uh, he teaches business classes at uh, college, and he has an MBA from uh, the university in I don't know how Pe to pronounce Pepperdine, Gracia right? Pepperdine, Pepperdine yeah. University's Graziado School of Business and Management. Anyway, he is going to uh, talk with you guys about this and about social media, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm all into social media now. I'm uh, my addict uh, of, this mo of this moment is making Instagram stories. So check it out on our Instagram account and you can see uh, what, uh, what I'm trying to do on Instagram. So looking forward to that. Have a nice week and talk to you next week. Thank you, Iris. Thank you. Right. Yeah, so we, have, we, have, we have Nick Norris next week, who's uh, who is my uh, mark, the social media marketing instructor when I took, that, when I took the class over there uh, a few years back. And he's also best friends with uh, the Netflix guy, Kevin Lorino, we had on the show. So those, oh. those two are like oh, best okay. friends. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, and uh, if you uh, go back and listen to that episode, that was actually a really, uh, really interesting uh, episode. We talked about, uh, you know, uh, he was actually working on Santa Clarita Diet, which was just canceled. <laughs> Not but because of his efforts, though. <laughs> I don't well, think maybe so. if I he did it so. harder, yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you geeky about? Didn't you talk about this? The, what was it? The Santa Claus thing that Iris just said? Didn't we talk about that last year? Oh. I think we did talk about it on the show last year, even. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a quick, a, a quick like uh, the Santa Claus thing, which is tonight. Uh, if, if, if you don't know what that is, uh, this is just a brief history of it. I'll break it down. Um, essentially, before Santa Claus, Santa Claus in America actually was a marketing push by Coca-Cola. And that's why he has the red Coca-Cola and the white Coca-Cola colors. I thought um, he was like Coke, man. He, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, that, no, that's, I mean, <laughs> maybe he does. That's how he's able to get all those presents delivered in one night. <laughs> but, uh, but, but over here in the Netherlands, we had Sinterklaas. And basically, he's, you know, long white beard, the whole bit. But uh, the deal is, is that he has these little uh, helpers and they're all like black people, usually people in blackface, like which has caused a lot of controversy around here. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so the deal is, is that if you're good, then uh, the Pete's who are all black will show up with their big red lips and they will give you presents. And uh, and Santa Claus comes from Spain and he shows up here and then gives out the presents. And then you have to put a shoe outside of your door with a carrot and uh, a note uh, to, uh, to, to what you want. And, and the, the carrot is for the horse because Sinterklaas rides a horse. Mm. And I think then, I prefer the Coca-Cola version. Yeah, it, it makes a little more, <laughs> I don't know, but, but it's less, definitely less racist. Um, but because if you're bad, what happens, the Pete's come in. 
put you in a sack and take you to Spain. So, so the short version is, is that uh, if you're a little kid, you, the story you grow up is like, if you're bad, black people are going to home invasion your house, put you in a stack, and kidnap you back to Spain and take you away from mommy and daddy. So, and what, what's out. the is Spain like in the Netherlands? Do you look at Spain as like this negative thing, or what, what's I, the I, deal with that? No, I think it's just warmer. It's just warmer and less raining. So. I mean, he's got a, you know, it's like, we're going to have to hitchhike back now. We're in Spain. We're going to get back. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You know, in a sack with this. I don't know. So anyway, over the last few years, to their credit, Pete's have become less, um, you know, less blackface and racist. Well, they're changing. They're changing the narrative. So the narrative now is that um, they're black because they go down the chimneys. And so it's soot. Oh, it's like soot, on their I face. See. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, right. you know, there's still those right. purists that are like, this is part of my heritage. You know, so whatever. I mean, your heritage is racist. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Uh, anyway. Uh, geekiness. 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 So what are you geeky about right now, man? Well, I uh, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, too. But this is the last thing I watched because I've been busy, man. But I watched Knives Out, which is Ryan Johnson. The director of Last Jedi and Looper. I'm not a fan of Last Jedi because of the. I think it's an okay movie, but I'm, because it ruins the mythology of you know Luke Skywalker and Star Wars in that regard. But Knives Out was awesome. It's hmm. like a, a. I mean, it's a murder mystery detective great. style. Yeah. Daniel Craig was hilarious, and I don't even know what kind of accent he had in that movie, but it was funny. Uh, I loved it. I really enjoyed it, and uh, that's really all I've seen recently. Actually, you know what I also watched was I watched um, in one evening while well, I was at my brother's house on Thanksgiving night. I watched the entire Paul Rudd show on Netflix, which oh. is like Living with Myself, which is eight episodes. So it was like four hours. I sat through the entire thing from like ten p.m. till three in the morning or something. <laughs> was it good? And it was it was pretty good. It was okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was like fantastic or anything, but I. Uh, I had some spare time, so I thought I'd sit through the whole thing. And Tom Brady made an appearance for about 20 seconds. Hmm, so, out, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I am uh, currently listening to The Wheel of Time, book one, which is a huge, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be really good. Uh, I'm about halfway through the first book. I'm like, whatever. I, I'm listening to uh, David Allen getting things done, but like the 2002 edition of it. Oh. I got it at the library. It's so funny because there's so much talk about like emails, like a new concept. And like there's like talking about PDAs and like all this crap that doesn't exist anymore. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But the, the general concepts are still relevant. Well, well uh, enjoy that. He's, a, he's an Ojai guy. He's an Ojai guy. He is guy. an Ojai guy. Yeah. He is an Ojai guy. And uh, your, uh, your cousin used to work for yeah, him, my right? My cousin was the head of his seminars for uh, way back when, like around the time of that book release. Uh, Dude, first we got to get out. your cousin on this show, man. Yeah, he's, he's, teach, he's, in the, he's in Alabama right now um, teaching at the Air Force whatever base or academy over there, like intelligence officers over there, they, they have him as a full-time teacher for the next four years. So he left, oh, no he's renting out the Ohio place. They're in Alabama for four years and then he'll be back. But I mean, he could still be on remotely. So yeah. Yeah. Him and his wife. I mean, his wife is great too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, one second, Andros, just a quick disclaimer. This is me from the future coming back. Um, I just want to say that we already aired the episode with Nick Norris. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wait a minute, I already heard that interview. That's probably why you're thinking that because that episode aired two episodes ago as episode number 89. So anyone that wants to hear the interview with Nick Norris, the college professor, uh, social media marketing expert, go check out episode 89. It aired on January 10th, 2020. 
Um, and you can you can listen to that episode. And then next week, we will be back with an all new interview. Uh, but we are catching up at the moment. So thank you for listening. Anyway, uh, that is it for us, ladies and gentlemen. And with that, another fine episode of the Marketing Geeks. We're on, we're on a hot streak on our on our guests. We've had some pretty, I, I would call it pretty high prestige people here. In, uh, yeah, man. And uh, Christopher Lockhead, I mean, he's a he's really the one of the top marketing podcasters out there. And, and he started incredible. from zero. He told you himself. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's just niching down, being authentic. And always... That's what we preach. Always record in front of a Lamborghini. That's what he said, right? Or the opposite. Yeah. No, I think he... <laughs> I forget. Yeah. You're dyslexic, but you tell me. I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, being dyslexic hasn't stopped me from, I don't know what it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, hasn't stopped me. That's good. Maybe. That's maybe good. It yeah. No. So, uh, do you, do you, uh, do you want to be a guest on the podcast? Uh, do you know anybody who might be a good guest? Contact uh, us here. Uh, you can also LinkedIn is a really great way to yeah. stay engaged. Uh, we have a LinkedIn page. Uh, Iris is always uh, posting interesting stuff. And our, our links, our links are in the show notes. You can find both of our LinkedIn profiles and the show profile. Yes, and with that, stay classy.